2 Chronicles chapter 17 Jehoshaphat his son succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanel, and Micaiah, to teach in the towns of Judah. With them were certain Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tob Adonijah, and the priests Elishama and Jehoram. They taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. They went round to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands surrounding Judah, so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. Some Philistines brought Jehoshaphat gifts and silver as tribute, and the Arabs brought him flocks, seven thousand seven hundred rams and seven thousand seven hundred goats. Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. He built forts and store cities in Judah, and had large supplies in the towns of Judah. He also kept experienced fighting men in Jerusalem. Their enrollment by families was as follows. From Judah, commanders of units of a thousand, Adna the commander, with three hundred thousand fighting men. Next, Jehohanan the commander, with two hundred and eighty thousand. Next, Amasiah, son of Zikri, who volunteered himself for the service of the Lord with two hundred thousand. From Benjamin, Eliada, a valiant soldier with two hundred thousand men armed with bows and shields. Next, Jehozabad, with a hundred and eighty thousand men armed for battle. These were the men who served the king, besides those he stationed in the fortified cities throughout Judah. Chapter 18 Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Some years later he went down to see Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him, and the people with him, and urged him to attack Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, four hundred men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I not? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here, whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, 
There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. The king should not say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria, with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Kenayana, had made iron horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth-Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, the other prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I not? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this, and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord, and said, I will entice him. By what means? the Lord asked. I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenayana, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? he asked. Micaiah replied, You will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, Take Micaiah, and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison, and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, Mark my words, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat king of Judah 
went up to Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, Do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, This is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. For when the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the breastplate and the scale armor. The king told the chariot driver, Wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans until evening. Then at sunset he died. Chapter 19 When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this the wrath of the Lord is on you. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. 2 Chronicles chapter 19 Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in the land, in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, Consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord, who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests, and heads of Israelite families to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes. And they lived in Jerusalem. He gave them these orders. You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. In every case that comes before you from your people who live in the cities, whether bloodshed or other concerns of the law, commands, decrees or regulations, you are to warn them not to sin against the Lord. Otherwise his wrath will come on you and your people. Do this and you will not sin. Amariah The chief priest will be over you in any matter concerning the Lord. And Zebediah, son of Ishmael, the leader of the tribe of Judah, will be over you in any matter concerning the king. And the Levites will serve as officials before you. Act with courage, and may the Lord be with those who do well. Chapter 20 After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. 
Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard, and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it, and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, March down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah, and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder 
and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty-five years old when he became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem for twenty-five years. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilhai. He followed the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people still had not set their hearts on the God of their ancestors. The other events of Jehoshaphat's reign, from beginning to end, are written in the annals of Jehu, son of Hanani, which are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. Later, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, made an alliance with Ahaziah, king of Israel, whose ways were wicked. He agreed with him to construct a fleet of trading ships. After these were built at Ezeonjeva, Eleazar, son of Dodavahu of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have made an alliance with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. The ships were wrecked and were not able to set sail to trade. Chapter 21 Then Jehoshaphat rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. And Jehoram his son succeeded him as king. Well, it would be a great uh, help to me if you'd keep your Bibles open on page 449, because uh, I'm not going to be able to read out much of it in the time we have, or we will be here all night. Well, things can often go wrong in battles. Uh, I was reading recently about HMS Trinidad, which fired a torpedo at a passing German destroyer in 1941. Unfortunately, they forgot that in the cold Arctic waters where they were, uh, the oil in the steering mechanism got very sticky. Uh, And they watched in horror as this torpedo running at 40 knots gently turned a 180-degree arc and less than a minute later hit the Trinidad accurately in the engine room and it put HMS Trinidad out of action for the rest of the war. Well, tonight's passage is about King Jehoshaphat, as you've heard, and we've heard about a big battle that went spectacularly wrong. But Jehoshaphat was a godly man. Uh, He sought to do God's will. Uh, In fact, he was one of the best kings Judah ever had. That's why 2 Chronicles devotes four whole chapters to him. But he also had his failings, His judgment of allies could be disastrous, and he made the mistake of partnering with much less principled people than himself, and the results were disastrous. Uh, 
And we've heard about one of those fateful alliances today with the king of Israel, Ahab, who actually was downright wicked. Well, if we can have the first slide, about the the time where this reading is talking about, which is the 9th century BC, the original Israelite nation had split into two. So in the north, uh, the ten tribes were called Israel, with their capital at Samaria. And in the south was little Judah with the Levites, centered on Jerusalem. And King Jehoshaphat was from the Davidic line in the south. And we know with the hindsight of history that that's the remnant which persevered through thick and thin, um, whereas the northern nation was annihilated pretty quickly. But let's find out about Jehoshaphat. Um, And I will read a bit from verses 3 through 6. Uh, because they set the scene for what Jehoshaphat was like. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, we read, because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He didn't consult the Baals, these idols that locals worshipped, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Jehoshaphat's heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord, And furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So we can see quite a a lot about Jehoshaphat here. First of all, he got rid of those pagan idols, the Baals. And actually, he was the exact opposite of Ahab in the north. Because Ahab had married Jezebel. And she was a great Baal worshipper. In fact, she became a byword for wickedness. And she employed 400 priests of Baal. So that's the first thing he did. He got rid of pagan idols. Second thing he did, he taught his people true religion. You can see that in verse 9. He sent round officials and Levites to teach the law of the Lord. And then thirdly, he secured the safety of his people by building forts and fortified cities. He trained an army. He laid up stores for a siege in the cities. That's in verse 12. So Jehoshaphat was a good king. He removed idols from the land, he actively taught his people true religion, and he ensured their security and safety. And actually, he he looks quite kind, doesn't he, in the picture there. And Ahab does look a bit wicked, doesn't he, really, wearing that silly hat. Uh, But like all of us, um, Jehoshaphat had his weaknesses. Uh, One of them was making a marriage alliance with Ahab up in the northern kingdom. He didn't have to do that. And then a few years later, when he visited his ally, King Ahab, in Samaria, Ahab persuaded him to join with him and go to war to recover the town of Ramoth-Gilead from Syria. If we have the next slide, you can see where that is. It's up just outside the land. And it had been Israelite land originally, so there was some reason to go and try and get it back. Um, But Ahab really persuaded Jehoshaphat to do that because he didn't really need to go to war over that. And his instincts, you see, were right, weren't they? He, he wanted to check that this was the Lord's doing, that they should go to war. Um, but here's another mistake he made. Instead of asking God himself directly, he said to Ahab, why don't you ask what the Lord's will is? Well, you don't ask a wicked man to work out what the Lord's will is. So Ahab wheeled in 400 yes-men, his 400 prophets, to ask him whether he should go to war. That's in verse 5. What did they answer? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. 
Well, I don't know when you ever heard of 400 people agreeing absolutely without exception. I think in our household it's sometimes difficult to get two of us to agree to one thing. So he should have smelt a rat, shouldn't he? Uh, 400 people. And these yes-men kept on trying to persuade Ahab and Jehoshaphat to go to war. Uh, You can read about it in chapter 18, verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, They kept nagging him. So Jehoshaphat should have smelled a rat and withdrawn at that point, Uh, but he didn't. Um, But he was a bit worried about it. He said, isn't there any other prophet that we can ask? Um, Well, there was one. Ahab didn't much like him. Uh, You can see that in 18 verse 7. I hate him, in fact, he said, because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He's my care, son of Imlah. And again, Jehoshaphat, there's just a little footnote here. Jehoshaphat replied, the king shouldn't say such a thing. So he knew you shouldn't say that about one of God's people, one of God's prophets. And evidently, Micaiah was a godly man as well. Uh, And we heard about how the messenger who was sent to fetch him, he just took him aside on the way and said, look, life would be much easier if you agree with all these other 400. Why don't you do that? Without exception, they're predicting success for the king, said this messenger. But Micaiah stuck to his guns, verse 13, as long as, the, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. And it was quite damning, wasn't it, what uh, this prophet eventually told King Ahab. Verse 16 of chapter 18, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord said, These people have no master, let each one go home in peace. Well, I think most of us here will recognize that phrase, won't they? Sheep without shepherd. It's a phrase that Jesus used uh, in Matthew 9.36 about the crowds of people. And Jesus had compassion on them. And of course, Jesus ended up as the, the greatest shepherd of all. And I think that we're told this story of Jehoshaphat at, at great length because he was a good king. He was one of the best kings that Judah had, in fact. But he still had his flaws. And we've seen those coming out in the reading today. We'll see them again in the second reading. And I think the Bible writers are just pointing us towards another good king from David's line, just as Jehoshaphat was, the King Jesus. And of course, Jesus wasn't just a good king. He was the perfect king. He was one who never did anything wrong at all. His judgment was never flawed. And as we read about Jehoshaphat and we sigh about all the things where he went wrong, I think we're meant to long for that perfect king who will have compassion on his people, who will be bringing them like a shepherd for the sheep. So let's return to the story. Um, Poor old Micaiah gets thrown into prison for his truth-telling on a meagre bread-and-water diet. And actually, I think that's another reminder for us that sometimes speaking Christian truth in our secular society can be costly, can't it? And it's not easy always either. Um, And I think, in a way, this is an encouragement to us as we remember that. Well, you would have thought after this series of things, the godly Jehoshaphat should have quietly gone back home to Judah and left Ahab to it. But he didn't. And instead, he went along with yet another deceitful act. Did you... 
hear that? The third one by Ahab? I think Ahab must have been a bit worried about this prophecy that he'd heard from Micaiah because he decided he'd go into battle incognito, just as a normal soldier, not wearing all his kingly robes. Uh, But he still thought Jehoshaphat should wear all the kingly robes. So Ahab must have thought that he could not only outwit the Syrians, the enemy they were fighting, but more importantly, outwit God. Well, that was a mistake, wasn't it? Because the battle came, the Syrians got the upper hand, they chased after Jehoshaphat, thinking he was the king of Israel. But really, it was Ahab they were after. Uh, But you'll notice in 18 verse 31, they turned to attack Jehoshaphat, but he cried out and the Lord helped him. And God drew the enemy away from him. For when the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him. But you notice it was God who drew them away. So the writer is saying. And here's a really ironic part of the story in verse 33. One of the Syrian soldiers drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the breastplate and the scale armor. And Ahab died later that evening. Just a random shot. It just managed to pierce a weak spot in the armor. But the Bible doesn't know anything about randomness. All the Bible knows about is God's sovereign control in his providence. And Ahab discovered to his cost, didn't he, that you can't escape God anywhere. Well, that has a positive side too for us, doesn't it? Um, As Paul says in Romans 8, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that was the end of a rather sorry tale, wasn't it? Um, And Jehoshaphat, when he did get home safely, was met by yet another godly prophet, Jehu, who saw very clearly where he'd gone wrong and rebuked him. And I think it's worth me reading that out, 19 verse 2. Jehu said, should you help the wicked, such as Ahab, and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you, said Jehu. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. So Jehoshaphat was a godly man. He was trying to do the right thing, but he also had poor judgment. And I think the encouragement for us is that God never let him go, despite all that. Well, I was pondering how we might apply what we've read to ourselves Because we're not kings, of course, or queens. Um, But I think we're maybe not so different from Jehoshaphat, the man. Because I think when we have decisions to make, it's important that we listen to what God is saying. Maybe it's through things we've learned from the Bible. Maybe it's through our consciences. Maybe it's through talking to other Christian friends. I also think that often enough we only see God's hand in our lives in retrospect. And I was thinking, trying to think of a personal example of this. And one example, I think, is a few years ago I had a sabbatical leave for three months. uh, And we'd been offered the use of a house for free in Hawaii. Uh, I'd done some work on the volcano there. uh, And the folk there would have loved me to go and work with them. 
And many of our friends said, how can you possibly not go to Hawaii for three months, all expenses paid? Uh, But something was nagging our consciences, and that was that Helen's parents were frail and elderly. They live in Yeovil in Somerset, and we don't see them that much. And if we were to honour our parents properly, we needed to spend more time with them. Uh, So I wrote to the nearest university, to Yeovil, which turns out to be Bristol, uh, and asked if I could have a desk for three months, and they very graciously did give me that. But I can vividly remember driving down on the 4th of January on a cold, dark afternoon, stopping at the services on the M4 with our car full of all our clothes and computers and books and things, and Helen and I looked at each other and said, why on earth are we doing this? Well, we soon found out, uh, because as it turned out, Helen's parents were in good health the entire time. Uh, Helen was able to go down and see them quite often, and that was good. But it also turned out that my father, who lived uh, just 20 minutes north of Bristol and was in excellent health, uh, was diagnosed with oesophageal cancer just a week after we arrived, and he died two weeks before we were due to leave. Um, So I was able to visit him twice a week or more. Uh, I didn't have strong teaching ties or anything. And interestingly, my father said to Helen just a couple of days before he died, um, he said to Helen, some things work out well, don't they? Well, we firmly believe that it was God's providence that we could, it was his mercy to us, really, that we did that. So we all failed to serve God as we should But God is gracious. Uh, We, of course, have to suffer the consequences of our wrongdoing. But in the things that matter, God will not let us go. And that's what Jehoshaphat found out, just as he held on to him. So we're coming to the part of our service tonight where we have a confession, an opportunity to confess our sins for our rebellion against God, for sins committed against him. And it is enormously encouraging, isn't it, to know that God is merciful and will forgive us our wrongdoing. And in the second half, we'll see a much better outcome where Jehoshaphat did properly throw himself on God's providence prior to another big battle, and we'll see a very different outcome from that. Chronicles chapter 19. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in the land, in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, Consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord, who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests, and heads of Israelite families to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes. And they lived in Jerusalem. He gave them these orders. You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. In every case that comes before you from your people who live in the cities, whether bloodshed 
or other concerns of the law, commands, decrees, or regulations, you are to warn them not to sin against the Lord. Otherwise his wrath will come on you and your people. Do this and you will not sin. Ananiah, the chief priest, will be over you in any matter concerning the Lord. And Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the leader of the tribe of Judah, will be over you in any matter concerning the king. And the Levites will serve as officials before you. Act with courage, and may the Lord be with those who do well. Chapter 20 After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in it, and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, or plague, or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeiah, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah, and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites 
and Kohites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty-five years old when he became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem for twenty-five years. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilha. He followed the ways of his father Asa, and did not stray from him. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people still had not set their hearts on the God of their ancestors. The other events of Jehoshaphat's reign, from beginning to end, are written in the annals of Jehu, son of Hanani, which are recorded in the Book of the Kings of Israel. Later, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, made an alliance with Ahaziah, king of Israel, whose ways were wicked. He agreed with him to construct a fleet of trading ships. After these were built at Ezeon-Jeba, Eleazar, son of Dodavahim of Malashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have made an alliance with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. The ships were wrecked, and were not able to set sail to trade. Chapter 21 Then Jehoshaphat rested with his ancestors, and was buried with them in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, succeeded him as king. Well, thank you to David Suchet for that reading. Um, I must say, if you've not come across his Bible readings, they're brilliant. You can get the whole Bible on CDs, and we quite often listen to it on long car journeys. Uh, he's just got such a lovely voice to listen to, apart from what's in the Bible as well, of course. 
And thank you too for Simon for all the um, IT stuff he's been doing tonight to make it work and the visuals and so on. So we meet uh, Jehoshaphat again, uh, looking after his people as a good king should. And now, in addition to those things he did before, he's put in place a system of justice, appointing judges throughout Judah and traveling around meeting his people himself. But then there's another military crisis. And if we can have the, the last slide, you can see the problem this time. It was the tribes east of uh, the Dead Sea there, Ammon and Moab, who'd risen against him and wanted to fight him with a vast and massive army. And this time, Jehoshaphat responds in a much more godly way. He doesn't just depend on his own power, but instead you'll notice he called a fast amongst all the people and he sought God's will himself. And then in front of all the people, in verses uh, 5 to 11 of chapter 20, he reminds everyone of what God has done for them in the past. And I think that's not bad advice for us when we're facing difficult times for whatever reason. It's really good to pause and look back at how God has cared for us in the past. And I don't know about you, but I know for me it's often difficult to see God's hand in the midst of our troubles when we're buried in them. It's much easier to look back and see them, how God worked through our circumstances afterwards. And Jehoshaphat this time is brutally honest about his weakness, isn't it? Uh, Not at all like that hubris which Ahab showed. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 12, we do not know what to do, says Jehoshaphat but our eyes are on you. And I just love that next little comment in verse 13 there. All the men of Judah with their wives and their children and their little ones were there standing before the Lord. So Jehoshaphat was trusting God and the outcome of this this battle is remarkable. Uh, So throughout that day, the people worshipped and praised God. Then the next day, they set off to meet the enemy. Of course, the enemy was still strong. They're massive, great, huge numbers of them. Uh, But Jehoshaphat was encouraging his people. And you might have heard many pre-battle motivational pep talks about how good the army is and how strong and how well-trained and how ready for battle. Uh, And I was reading again uh, the message that Commander-in-Chief Montgomery sent to his men to be read out to every soldier on the day before the D-Day landings in 1944. Uh, This is an example. This is what he said. I want every soldier to know that I have complete confidence in the successful outcome of the operations that we are now about to begin. With stout hearts and with enthusiasm for the contest, let us go forward to victory. Or maybe you prefer the fictional speech uh, in Shakespeare's Henry V. Once more into the breach, dear friends, once more. Or close up the wall with our English dead. Well, Jehoshaphat didn't give that sort of speech, did he? Instead, let's listen in on what he did say, uh, chapter 20, verse 20. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And then they appointed good singers who set off at the head of the army. And what were they singing? They weren't great battle songs. They were praising God's holiness as they marched along. And they were looking to God and praising him just for who he was, who he is. 
And even today we recognize the same words because we sing them often enough. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. That's what they were singing. And the outcome of this battle was amazing, wasn't it? Uh, Those three tribes that were waiting to to defeat Jehoshaphat had actually started fighting amongst themselves before Jehoshaphat even arrived. Uh, Maybe they thought it was the enemy attacking when it was just one of the other tribes in the alliance getting ready. Um, Though the Bible makes it clear in verse 22 that it was God himself who enabled this to happen. And the enemy end up destroying each other, fighting each other. So when Jehoshaphat and his army arrive in verse 24, they look towards the vast army and they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. And there was so much plunder it took them three days to remove it. And so it's a great story, isn't it, of trusting God wherever you are, whatever your circumstances. Well, you might have thought Jehoshaphat had learned his lesson, but he hadn't quite, had he? There's a sad little footnote about the persistent way he returned to the old ways at the end of his life. He made an alliance with Ahab's son, Ahaziah, who, if anything, was even more wicked than his father, Ahab. It was a straight commercial deal this time to build trading ships and make a ton of money, Uh, but it all went wrong, as we read about in verse 37, uh, where another prophet reminded Jehoshaphat, because you have made an alliance with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. The ships were wrecked and were not able to set sail to trade. Well, what are we to make from these uh, stories we've heard tonight? Jehoshaphat was a godly man. He did many things right. He followed God. He served his people. But when he followed his own ways and allied with wicked people, things went wrong. And at his best, he recognized his own weakness, didn't he? He recognized his need to depend on God, as he did before that second battle we've just heard about. And for ourselves, we can give thanks that we have a greater king from the Davidic line. In fact, the greatest king the world can ever know in Jesus And we can have confidence that if we put our trust in him, he'll never let us go. And as we live out our lives in this broken world, things are likely sometimes to be difficult. It's almost inevitable they will be. They're going to be sad and hurtful. There'll be tears and suffering. And we're likely to make mistakes. But we can have confidence that in the things that matter eternally, the Lord will never, ever let us go. So as we sit, let's just uh, finish in prayer. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Lord Jesus, please help us to trust you in good times and in bad. Please help us to know both our own weaknesses and your great strength and love for us. And please help us to serve you better day by day so that you can say of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.